Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we are grabbing a cocktail. I sat down with two of Columbus's best cocktail bartenders to talk about the bar scene in Columbus, what makes a good cocktail list, how to be a good patron, and the evolution of the Short North bar scene. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. On the occasion of the holiday season, sitting down here with Joe Peppercorn and Josh Rice, we are talking cocktails. Joe is the co-beverage director at Little Rock Bar, also bartender at Giuseppe's Retrovo in Bexley. Josh Rice coming to us courtesy of Bodega in the short north. Josh, how are you? I'm great. Good. Good. Josh, how did you start to be a bartender? I grew up in the service industry. Uh, not necessarily in full-service restaurants. I come from a service industry background. My father was a chef. I worked for him through junior high, high school, and college. Uh, went to college, did some other things, and uh, came back into full-service restaurants about 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, chains, independents, dive bars, clubs, everything. In Columbus primarily? or In Dayton primarily, but also in Detroit and I've been in Columbus almost, well, yeah, I've been in Columbus five years now mm-hmm. at many different places in five years. Got it. Joe, you are known to people, I think, primarily at this point for the Beatles Marathon, which uh, we can get a little plug in here coming yeah. up December 10th Yes, at uh, the Bluestone. Also, the front man for the sometimes revived band, The Wiles. Yes. How did you get into bartending? I got into bartending because... The main thing that appealed to me were the hours because I've always had a difficult time sleeping since I was a little child. I remember being a kid and being up till one or two in the morning just about every night. Okay. And so I, despite my uh, best intentions and efforts, I, I, you know, I'd always end up falling asleep at school and all. And having a normal job is just very, very difficult for me because I, my body just fall, shuts down at two to 3 a.m. every night. Okay. So the hours of bar- bartending, I was like, oh, wow. This is a, you go in at like, you know, six or seven and then you leave it. Two, and then you know I go to bed like I normally would, and then so you have an excuse to sleep in. Yes, you worked yes. the night before. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that w- w- appealed to me, and it, and it fit perfectly with my lifestyle. And now, but then I also liked bars. I liked drinking, and I liked being around people, and I liked the, and the music aspects too. That also drew me in. A lot of the bars I worked originally were music clubs. You know, ha- having the connections through music and through the sleep schedule, it just it was a no brainer for me. Oh, this this is a great business to be in. Can you give me a rundown of the places you've worked? You st- first bartending shift was at the Treehouse, right? Animus Treehouse, and then there was uh, I worked there through you know two other different managements, and then uh, let's see Kobo, another music club, and then Outland worked there. <laughs> Bazi Italia, Giuseppe's Retrovo, Curio. But wide-ranging, you know, I've done fine dining, I've done really, really terrible dive bars, you know, everything, you know. Right. And the the one that, the reason why I brought you guys in together, both of you sort of take bartending a little bit more seriously, I think, than me, who bartends maybe, you know, once a month. I know how to pull a beer, and that's 
pretty much the extent of it. You guys take your time and sort of study it. And Joe, you as the co-assistant beverage director at Little Rock Bar, you have an obligation to sort of study these things and study drink making. I know that you've also been thrown into, you know, how do you make a frozen drink? And, you know, which is no easy task. Why do you think that you take it a little bit more seriously? Is it just by virtue of this is what I'm doing and so I'm going to do it well? Yeah, and I think also just once I reached a point where I said, you know what, this is not just a little side gig. This I, I really want to work in this business. You know, right. I think Josh is in a similar position yeah. that I yeah. am, where it's like, you know, a lot of bartenders they do it to get through school or whatever, and then guys like Josh and I, we, I, I think we both just, oh, this is my this is my job. You know, right. So I th- I think you in order to feel f- fulfillment and to not go insane, you have to treat it like you know like something that's important to you, and you have to take it seriously. And I mean, it doesn't mean you can't have fun with it, but I mean, it's in order to feel like a human being, I think you guys like us have to approach it very seriously and, and try our best to do a really great job with it. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, with you. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, take the time to learn as much as you can about the profession. And that's what it is. It's a profession. Right. Uh, study a lot, read a lot. I am fortunate enough to have a photographic memory, so it's a little easier for me to remember things. Okay. So when I explain somebody something to somebody, I get the, how, how do you know this? Well, Yes, I have a photographic memory, well, but I I've also one time. I've also read I don't know how many books on X subject and Y subject. Right, and you are Josh, a member of the United States Bartenders Guild, correct? A organization that promotes education, competition, and camaraderie. You are not a cicerone. A, I'm not a cicerone. A no. cicerone is akin to a sommelier for wine, but a cicerone is for beer. Correct. You studied it. You're also certified in by the Bar Smarts program. Bar Smarts program, yeah, spirits can, program. Can you tell us what Bar Smarts is? Uh, Bar Smarts is an organization based out of New York. Their flagship product is called Bar Five Day. It's an unofficial postgraduate course for bartenders that takes a week to complete, costs a lot of money. You taste a ridiculous amount of spirits and learn as much as possible about service and spirits and cocktails. They have two other programs. One is an online program where they uh, show some videos and do some instruction. You take a little quiz. And then the other one is a live program where you spend an entire day with these these five amazing gentlemen who are kind of luminaries in the spirits, cocktails, and wine world who'd have taken upon themselves to educate as many people as possible. Uh, and that was that was an awesome day. It was in Cleveland about three years ago. Okay. Uh, spent a day with them, tasting, learning, getting quizzed, uh, practical exams too, like I had to make cocktails for people in front of people. And this is not like those programs that you would see at like a strip mall or advertise on the radio. Like, Correct. Hey, you can be a bartender yeah. too. This, this is not ABC Bartending School. Right. Uh, where you're learning how to make a, a daiquiri with, with neon green sour mix and learning how to use a blender. <laughs> um, things, things like that, that, that silly commercials you see on TV or do advertisements. Those things, do those still exist? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Big you time. You cannot properly make a buttery nipple without one of those courses. <laughs> <laughs> there is, it is an impossibility. You, I'm sorry, Joe, how do you make a buttery nipple? I, I, I've never taken one of those courses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk about sort of what you guys see. You guys work together at Curio. Correct. I want to talk about sort of where you see bar culture right now in that, let's say 10 years ago, it was rare to find a bar that had 30 craft beers on tap. At this point, it's sort of expected that even a neighborhood bar will have at least five 
curated beers, mm-hmm. just depending on what their you know uh, what their tap setup is. What other things are you seeing in sort of bar culture? Uh, spirits, spirits and cocktails. Uh, this is something that we were talking about last weekend in some downtime at Bodega. Had a gentleman with his girlfriend who walked in seven o'clock on a Friday night, uh, the mid swing of happy hour. Walked right up to the bar, ordered a vodka soda and a Negroni, and that's just weird to me. Okay, uh, just. Not even questioning, hey, can you make a Negroni? Do you have the ingredients for it? But just ordering one. And so what's what's in a Negroni? A Negroni is an equal parts cocktail, classic cocktail, stirred cocktail, equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. Okay. Served on the rocks, usually with a, a nice orange slice. So uh, something that most bars should, a fully stocked bar should have. Should have, but is not necessarily going to, well, not necessarily going to have Campari. Mm-hmm. Or, or have sweet vermouth that actually tastes like sweet vermouth. Yeah, they, that drink will stink with the teriyaki sauce vermouth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to have some something decent okay. to make it. I had one of those drinks. That's my favorite drink. I it had is. One, it I is. had one last yeah. night, actually, okay. after turkey. Joe, what are you seeing? I've seen a lot of things that Josh has seen. Um, you know, at Giuseppe's Retrovo, where I work, it's kind of the same thing where people just walk up and they don't say oh can you can you make a daiquiri or can you make an old-fashioned or can you make any of these things i mean it's just just assumed that in a nice restaurant with a fully stocked bar he's just, oh okay i can order whatever i want and this, and this guy can make it and right i like that aspect a lot of the that, that i as a patron too i can go to a, a re- nice restaurant and if i'm in the mood for it get a negroni or, or get it properly made with some good ingredients do you think that that's mainly because you guys sort of circulate within the center city and so like am i going to be able to go to a bar on Bethel Road and order a Negroni. You're starting to see that. It's yeah. it's kind yeah. of shocking. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. you're going out and you're in Hilliard, you're in Powell, wherever, and you go up and, and usually, you know, if, if you go to a bar, there's signs that indicate to you, oh, you can get a Negroni here. If you see the Campari prominently displayed, if you see um, that they carry good vermouth, if you see some Italian Amaro there, you know, which is a herbal digestif that we love to use in cocktails, and usually a bottle of that indicates that this is a bar program that takes things kind of seriously, you know. You, and you don't want to be a jerk at the same time and go to a you know a, a shot and beer bar. Oh, why can't you make me a Negroni? You know, like. <laughs> um, but you're starting to see those shot and beer bars be able to do that too. Um, and I, th- I think that's one of the. And what more, do you mean by shot and beer bar? Is it just like you know the kind of place that you'd see on campus or? Or grown up places, even even like Little Rock, I would consider a shot and beer bar. But okay. we can, but we can make a nice drink there, you know. Right. You, 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 neighborhood you, bars. Right. Neighborhood bars. The the place where grumpy old men hang out for happy hour, and then all the service industry goes at the end of the night. Right. Say that someone is sort of you know mid twenties, sort of uneducated about even what they like and would like to discover more about what they like. What recommendations do you have for them? You know, do I like a Negroni or? Do I like an old fashioned? You do like an agroni. The question <laughs> is just, you know, you do you realize yet? that? You okay. Know? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you do like it. It's it's uh it's kind of the way that people get introduced to any any beverage, any food stuff. Uh, you start with something usually a little sweeter, a little more friendly, and uh, you go to a place where you know that they they can make it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see for for cocktails. Yeah, a place like a, a nicer style neighborhood bar like Little Rock. Uh, like Bodega, where you can get even something silly. Like you can get a pro- we make a, a proper Long Island at Bodega with fresh juice. Okay. It, it sounds silly, but we do. And it's one of those cocktails that's just gotten 
diluted and changed so much over the years. I'm not saying it's a good cocktail. I'm just saying that you can make it better. Right. So a place where like that, where you know that they can make something better. Well, in my mind, Long Island is always like the thing that if somebody orders, that's the red flag of that person maybe doesn't know what they like and just wants a whole bunch of liquor. Correct. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Not necessarily, but possibly. Uh, that that has kind of been debunked by our friend Jeff Morgenthaler out in Portland, Oregon, okay. who put a craft Long Island on his menu at one of his craft cocktail bars uh, because he wanted to do kind of throwback kitschy cocktails. And he said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it as well as I can right. and use the best ingredients possible, which I think is kind of cool. Right. You know, is there any argument for going on Amazon or going to a bookstore and just getting a good cocktail cookbook, basically? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And sort of, you know, sampling that, getting small bottles of liquor. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the, the books are, are, are necessary. I mean, even, even, you know, even having experience. I mean, Josh is more experienced than me, but I know he he constantly is reading, the you know, new books that come out and everything. I mean, that's how you... That's really how you can keep up with everything. I mean, because you can find stuff online, but a lot of these books are, the, I mean, the best information filtered for you. You know, because um, there's just so much, so many resources online, and th- there's some that are great, but a lot of them are not. And and I think a book would be the the best. The Death and Company book would be my yeah, re- recommendation yeah. for a, a beginner, <clears throat> or novice, anything. I mean, it, that book lays out everything for everyone if you're a beginner you can take a lot from that book and if you're advanced you can take a lot from that book there's there's a there's a handful of them that one st- stands out to me i don't yeah I don't know oh absolutely you. and to clear death and company is an awesome cocktail bar on the lower east side in new york city it's been there a little over 10 years okay uh the people that own it actually live in la they are restaurateurs and bar creators they're both bartenders but uh, it is a craft cocktail bar. It is a craft cocktail like, bar. Like Curio. Like is, Curio. Is the best yeah. example yeah. in Columbus, it's, I think. It's the speakeasy stylish. Curio is not a speakeasy because it has windows. Uh, but Death and Company doesn't have windows. It's kind of that, that neo speakeasy that started at the turn of the, the, the 21st century in New York. Okay. With PDT and, and Death and Company were two of the two of the forefronts. Okay. There are standards for like, this is what's in a Long Island. This is Correct. what's in a Correct. old fashioned. What, mm-hmm. what association defines that? Uh, that was the International Bartenders Association. Okay. That's the association that the USBG is connected with internationally. Okay. And they promote the same things, but they also, the, the example that I gave earlier was whenever you, you Google a cocktail and Wikipedia comes up, it has the official IBA recipe, which isn't necessarily a recipe that I'm going to use, but okay. it's the one that's the worldwide standard decided on by this association of bartenders. Okay. So what I was going to ask then is if it's defined to that point, if it's defined of like this many ounces of this, this many Mm -hmm. ounces of that, what's the difference between going to a bar where somebody's going to try and follow that to the letter and going to a place where you guys may work and you're going to sort of perfect it? I would say... Is it just like the touch? Is it like an artist, basically? Yeah, it is. To a certain extent. It's creativity and and kind of riffing on somebody else's cocktail. Okay. Uh, There there are a finite number of ways to put booze and juice and sugar together to make a drink. Okay. Uh, These styles have been defined for many, many, many years. It's just riffing on that using different ingredients and different techniques and changing it in certain ways. Uh, which which is easier to do at some places than others. We try and do it at Bodega. Uh, we have some very nice, very simple cocktails. Uh, we have a couple of complicated ones, but it's also a really busy bar mm-hmm. uh, because we're so close to campus. We're in the short north. It, Curio does a much better job with that. Crystal Lobby at M does a better job with that. They, they have a small, more intimate space. Just, uh, 
Giuseppe's does an awesome job with that. Their cocktail list is always fantastic and super creative. Uh, Blind Lady Tavern, Sidebar, Denmark, all of the big cocktail houses in the city always have really cool riffs on standards and classics. They're very creative. What's the difference between an easy cocktail and a complicated one? Number of ingredients. Okay. Um, scarcity of the ingredients. If you're using some plant that's only available for two weeks of the year. Okay. Uh, expensive ingredients. Uh, and also some of the techniques. Uh, basic basic sours are three ingredients. Sweetness, uh, acid, and base spirit of daiquiri. Uh, Negronis are three ingredients just stirred up. Manhattans are three ingredients stirred up. Old Fashions are three or four ingredients uh, but you start getting into things. I think the, the penultimate one is the, the Ramos Gin Fizz, the breakfast hangover cocktail from New Orleans. An okay. egg white gin sour with heavy cream and orange blossom water and three 13 other ingredients that takes technically 12 minutes to shake. Okay. Don't order one of those. They're good. Okay. But. Well, and that brings us to somebody who has sort of, you know, entertains their friends at home with making cocktails and says, hey, maybe I want to be, a, you know, a cocktail bartender. What's the, is there a path to go down? Is it joining an organization? Is it simply continuing to work at home and trying to like get their foot in the door at a place? Yeah. I mean, getting your foot in the door is amazing. I think anyone can really learn to make these cocktails. It's not like, you know, I think there's this misconception that guys like Josh and I have this like talent that, oh my goodness, you know, I think Josh actually, like he said, he has like a photographic memory that really helps. He has, he, he like working with him. It was shocking. Like, you know, someone could list some obscure drink and he'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, there's rum and, and Fernet and Lot. And he'd be like, what? Like, <laughs> you haven't he, made that in six years. He'd be and... like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he, know, he seriously knows every drink. You know, you don't need to be at that point. But I, th- I think learning the basics of working in a bar is, is essential. And I think, honestly, starting in like a neighborhood bar is probably a good option for someone who's young and wants to start bartending because a lot well, I mean, and they're going to learn if they truly want to do it yeah yes, and, and a yes. lot of it is just dealing with with learning how to deal with people learning how to communicate with them and learning how to you know these basic things of, of you know how to open and close a bar how to you know basic service things that um how to deal with someone when they're drunk yeah how to yeah like, probably yeah. cut and, someone off and i if if i were to i mean the one thing i there are some bartenders that started in the cocktail world and i i can pick them out very easily because they just there's this, these basic skills that they they kind of skip over and they just go they just go right into like making cocktails and stuff and and i mean that's a big part of it and it's exciting but i know for a lot of us in our generation who are doing the cocktail thing we all started at, you know pouring shots and, be, and pulling beers like right that's, well because that cocktail culture didn't exist 10 right. years ago correct but i think that's a necessary skill to have if you want to be a good bartender i mean there are people that are prove exceptions to that rule but I like the bartenders that, you know, have worked in a variety of places. And I'm not asking about the patrons here. I'm more asking about bar culture and bartenders. What are the sort of maybe the negative things that are happening in the, the Columbus bar scene? What are you annoyed by when you see it? But, but in Columbus, like as a patron, what am I annoyed by? Yeah. Like as a, yeah, as a, as a patron who knows about the industry. For me, it's just like a, a lack of fun. I always get very frustrated when like some some you know people are doing things and they're not having fun doing it or not okay. making it a fun experience. You know, and I don't see a lot of that honestly. Like, and it's you know, not you that to it's a, too serious. It's literally that they're like, ugh. Yeah, you know, I mean, but they yeah, just I don't want to be there. Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of that honestly. Thankfully, no, in I, Columbus, I like you go to Denmark, they got a good sense of humor. You go to you go to Curio, any of these spots, like you go there and like people get it. Like I'm not a, I'm not a magician. You know, I'm just making a cocktail. <laughs> 
you know, there's a certain amount of humility that I, I like that I thankfully in Columbus, I think a lot of the cocktail bartenders have, and there's a camaraderie that they, they, everyone knows each other, right? There's these events, everyone gets together and 95% of the time it's very, everyone's working together, helping each other find jobs if they mm-hmm. need to. And I don't know, there's not a whole lot of negative aspects I, I could point out. But okay. I don't know if Josh, you feel it. I think the only thing I would have to say about that is when a new establishment opens, whether it's a chain or an independently owned place, and they claim to have a cocktail program or a nice cocktail list, or they mm-hmm. claim to have a nice craft beer list, or even a nice wine list, and you go in and look at it, and and it's not, it's it's Blue Moon and Shock Top, uh, you know, right? Or or it's just hey, we have Bell's Two Hearted, we have the best craft beer list possible. Well, that's a great beer, but every place has that beer. Right. Uh, what are you doing? Do you have interesting IPAs? Do you have interesting stouts? Are you trying to change your beer seasonally? Same thing with the cocktails. Do you have some ingredients to make some good things? I'm not saying you have to have super creative drinks on your list. Right. But can you make a solid Negroni Manhattan old-fashioned daiquiri? Just really, really basic stuff. Do you have the tools set in place? You don't need to squeeze juice fresh every day. Right. And you don't need to go crazy about it, but just have a few simple tools and have your people trained to a point where they can make that. So it's the false claim, basically. Yes. That, that like yes. everybody is falling that like in order to be a bar, you've got to have a good selection of craft beers. You've got to have a cocktail list. Yeah. And you have to have wine available. The problem is, is that people have those things, but they're not necessarily doing them well. Correct. Okay. I, I see new establishments at opening that still have mainly domestic macro brews or their offshoots on draft with maybe one or two craft beers. And then their cocktail list consists of some sort of Moscow Mule variant and then an Apple Martini and a Cosmopolitan. Is the market sort of correcting for that? I mean, I have in my head the names of a couple of bars that have opened in the last year or so. Seems to me as though they're not doing very well. Correct. Yeah. So the market does correct for it. The market does correct. And I think a lot of that is driven by what what Joe mentioned earlier, these these bars in other larger cities uh, Columbus is a very business traveler type of town. Okay. The people who live here travel extensively for both business and pleasure. Right. And they go to, it could be something as simple as Chicago, Indianapolis, Atlanta, first tier, second tier, third tier cities. And they sit down at a bar and they see they've got this wonderful craft beer list of all these local beers that are awesome and tons of flavor and really unique ingredients. This great wine list that's priced really, really well. And it's not just all California wines. It's wines from all over the country. This, this great craft cocktail list that's really simple or really complicated. Or, hey, I had an awesome Manhattan here. Can you make me a Manhattan? Do you know what that is? <laughs> that's that's a question that we've started. Nobody asks that anymore. Like, of right. course I can it's make a, a Manhattan. It's assumed that you yeah. can do that. Right. And we have talked about some of the bars that are doing that well. Those will be uh, linked in the show notes. Talk about how to be a good bar patron. I know a lot of, t- you know, people will come in, they'll look at the menu, they'll order something. But there are also people that walk up and say, make me something. <laughs> And it's appropriate to do that in some places. Like Curio, I think, does a great job mm-hmm. of you can look at their extensive menu or you can say, hey, I like whiskey. Yeah, I like whiskey and I like things that are sweet. Make me something. This is your opportunity to sort of bitch about negative experiences that you've had with bar patrons. I don't like bitch. I like educate. Just okay. educate people. Let's educate people. Just, just be smart. Know what you want when you're going in. But yeah, Joe, go ahead. Yeah, there, I mean, th- there's a whole grocery list of behave like there's there's a basic etiquette right and you know unfortunately throwing money at you is probably not a nice thing to do no it's not a nice thing to what's do what's a good and, way to get your uh, attention 
just just stand there. I see you. You don't you don't even need to wave. You don't yeah. need to you don't need to shake your bottle. You don't need to do any of that. You stand there, and it's my job to see you. And if you see that I am busy, then just wait. Just just be patient. You know, I some of these people go to the bar. I don't know what they do when they go to a Starbucks, and like you can't <laughs> you you have to wait in line, and you can't like run around to the to the end of hey hey I'm, hey can I get coffee? Like I mean, what are these? Some, I I can't figure out what some of these people do when they go there, and there's like a line. So you see that there's ten people waiting. I you know I'm trying my best to count you guys. So like all right, you're next. You're next. You're next. But, you know, people just they they have bad etiquette in bars. It, it brings out it, the, the, it, there is. Well, it is that little bit of alcohol in them. Right. It, it, There's they, the alcohol. They, yeah. they just they they have bad etiquette and it comes out in spades when when they are, are getting boozed up a little bit. So you don't need to you don't need to you know be a jackass when you come up and try to get our attention. We see you when we come when we come over to you. If you have questions, like you know, present you know, if you see us really busy, just order a, a two-hearted or something easy that you know you like. But if we're not busy, like you know, don't be a doofus with your questions. Like ask smart questions. Oh, this drink, what is it like? Okay, I could say, oh, it's like a Manhattan. Oh, cool, I like Manhattans. Or you could say, what's a Manhattan? It's whiskey, vermouth, and bitters. Oh, I typically like strong drinks. Would I like that? Yeah, you might like that if you like whiskey mm-hmm. and strong. You know, there, there, there's there's a series of questions you can you you can be intelligent about. But I think also like you know people don't necessarily give us the respect we deserve because they kind of look down on, on us as as not professionals or, or like well this is you know you hear all the time what's your real job you know right so I th- I think that a lot of times there's a lack of respect for the bartender and but then no, you you see the opposite too where people are very very respectful and you, you treat you like you're like royalty I, I enjoy that thoroughly <laughs> but but um you know once once you get once you figure out what you want if you want to try something and we let you try it cool make your decision then and and then when we bring you your drink say thank you and then pay cash or open one tab for the night and yeah. don't, don't you know and then when you uh go out over to your friends don't be a loud idiot like you know stay be when you bump into someone don't go <laughs> like, <laughs> like, say know. excuse me yeah i mean just they need to start teaching these kids like this basic it's this not just basic kids. etiquette it's not just kids it's not just kids it's it's yeah it's it's etiquette and politeness politeness there's a basic there's c- basic etiquette and basic and civility and basic politeness that you should have everywhere and especially i feel like especially yeah. in the bar you know where you know, it's a magical place where you get you get to be whatever you want to be, and we, we, we are, have these we are, these awesome people bringing you things that taste good and make you feel happy. Right, we are going to make your dreams come true. Yes, <laughs> if you could just stop being such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you have horror stories to share. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, let me before you do that, let me just interject real quick and just, just talk about the I think the biggest thing in that question is eye contact okay. and just politeness. Okay. If a bartender makes eye contact with you because he know- knows that you are looking at him or her, that usually denotes that you want or need something. So I will come over to you. And if you don't need anything, I'm gonna be annoyed because I could have helped three other people right. at the other end of the bar. At the same note, if but you were what sitting, if they just think you're handsome. That never happens to me. Uh, I'm old and fat and bald. That's not true. Uh, on the same I'm note, I'm putting your picture in the show notes <laughs> for this episode. If you are sitting or standing at the bar, and the bartender does not make eye contact with you because they are busy, please do not start shouting out your order. 
I have three just other things in my head. Just because you're heads. close by yes. doesn't mean that you are the one being served If right I now. happen to make eye contact with you, I will say, I will be right with you. Or here's a menu. I will be right back. Please do not start shouting your order at me because I have enough things that I'm doing at the moment. I will get to you. I promise. I will make all your dreams come true. Okay. Horror stories. All right. Joe, go. Okay. So <laughs> my favorite bartender in town who gave me my first job and um, I still work for, he, he was working one night and the guy was doing the bottle shaking thing and he would not stop it. And he said, <laughs> my buddy said to the guy, you know, I see you. You don't need to shake the bottle at me. Guy comes up for the next beer, sh- shakes the bottle. And this isn't like, <laughs> this is literally like, hey, do you see that this is empty? Yeah, my bu- and my buddy said to him, shake that bottle at me one time and it's be- going to get shoved up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a glorious time 10 years ago when you didn't have Yelp and you yeah, could do yeah. stuff like that. I do miss those days. Like as much as I like politeness and civility, sometimes people just need to be told that they're going to get a bottle shot <laughs> up their ass. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, and it's and being sort of the guy who has clients that are bars and doing marketing for them. Like you, I go through Yelp reviews and I'm like, there is not. I'm sorry that the DJ wouldn't play the song <laughs> that you wanted to hear. One star. One star. Or that yes, it is the bar's fault if it's out of paper towels. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, reviewing it based on stuff that is not under the bar's control. Yes, give it a you know a one star review for. Uh, bad service Mm -hmm. but i'm sorry you had a shitty night and got in an argument with your girlfriend that is not a reason for a bad i have an awesome nightmare story about a guy and his girlfriend arguing go so one night this guy and this girl they they, the girl was just a nightmare to deal with at the bar and the guy she ordered a long island no, she was just mad and a- angry, and, Ew, and she was worst. drinking a water, and he was just, I mean, he was just going to town, pounding Miller Lights, and she screamed at him and left, and he continued to just drink, like, I mean, just a, an absurd amount. Mm-hmm. She comes back, and we're like, oh, man, this this girl's back again. She comes in, <laughs> starts screaming at him. He tabs out. He walks out to the car where she is, and she's screaming at him. She throws something at him. And then he gets in the car and they take off. We go over to what she threw at him, and it was a positive pregnancy test. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That was. I'm leaving this pause in there because it's just amazing. <laughs> See, I mean, like, I mean, I sometimes I wish I had a more stable life and like sold insurance. But then you see stuff like that, you're like, oh man, where you you wouldn't get that, you know, selling insurance, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, what what nightmare stories you got? I was working at a bar here in the short north, it was at Bodega, uh, on a Saturday night two or three years ago, and doing last call at like one forty, one fifty. Lights come up, music comes down, asking people what they want for last call to go beer shots, blah, 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 right. blah. Guy comes up to me with an empty water glass, and I, I go to fill it up, and he pukes into the empty water glass on the oh. bar top, to which I respond, we're done. That's Get it. Get out. No now. shots. Gone. This guy just ruined everybody's night. Ugh. Christmas is canceled. <laughs> it's this guy's fault. The, the, the funnest ones with those are when you do last call, and people argue with you about it. What do you mean I can't get another six rounds of no, I am done dispensing alcohol. Right. What you do you mean? Like, yes, I will give you a shot. 
Correct. But no, you can't have a full beer. Well, I'll drink it really fast. No, you won't. No. It, it is 2.05. I will gladly get you a shot and a six-pack to go. But I have to have you not only done with your alcohol, but out of the building at 2.30 and hopefully getting home responsibly via walking Uber cab. What are the like other that. sort of... There are nightmare stories, but then there are people that just sort of make bad decisions. Yeah. You know, what? how do you properly cut somebody off and i think that that there's an important distinction between there are very few people that actually have to get thrown out right yes, correct Mo- but there are a whole lot of people that simply don't know how drunk they are and need to be cut off mm-hmm. because you're a certain amount of responsibility that a bartender has to keep everyone safe more than certain yeah it's that's a lot. The dram shop laws you're legally responsible talk about that you're legally responsible if you get someone so drunk that they are going to black out. Oh, not even that far. Okay. Like, uh, dram shop laws are, are basically are really, really simple, and they're different in every state. And this is where they're different when they walk in, how intoxicated they are, and if you choose to serve or not serve them. Okay. Uh, so in Ohio, if they walk in the door, generally, if you serve them and you you assess their state when they walk in, that's usually the easiest way. And you're not doing that for every person, but it's if they present. Yes. Right. Yes. The, the, the shimming and the swiveling and the stumbling and the dropping things and the loud voices and mm-hmm. ordering very strong rounds right off the bat. Like give me a double, triple Jack and Coke or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just the, the typical assessment of how intoxicated they are. And if you choose to serve them, then you are, legally responsible for their safety okay so walk me through like you don't know whether somebody's going to be driving out of there correct correct so what sort of responsibility do you have just to make sure that they are able to walk out yes and no if if you know for a fact that they are driving because they have their keys in front of them you can do everything in your power to dissuade them from driving right uh, hey let me call you let a me, cab let me call you a cab let me call you an uber where do you live i have somebody walk you down the street we always have barbacks right but if you are unable to do that, then you're, you as the person who provided them some form of alcohol are legally required to call the police. Be like, this person is intoxicated. I served him. I tried to get him not to drive. He chose to drive. Please get him off the road. And so are you, you're doing that when they leave? Yes. How often do you have to do that? I have never done that. Okay. I've never had to do that. I've never done that. Should you have? uh, No. Okay. No, No, not at all. People... If, if you approach it correctly, if you approach it out of kindness and camaraderie rather than anger. Like, hey, man, I'm on your side. Yeah. Like, hey, man. You seem drunk. It's time. You've had enough. How are you getting home? Or, hey, Sam, this is the third night this week that you've been here this hammered. Right. Let me get in my bar back, John, to walk you down the street to your house and make sure you get home. Right. And yeah. it, it's different with regular customers. It's usually not. You, you very rarely have a situation where you're cutting someone off and it turns into something. It do, That yes. does happen. Yes. Right. But most of the time, if you remember when people are very intoxicated, they lose track of time very mm-hmm. easily. And the easiest thing to do is when they order a drink to just to say, I'm going to serve you water. And they just forget that they ordered a drink yeah. 90% of the yep. time. Okay. And then they'll order again five minutes later. And you say, you know, I think. I think that water is going to be good for you for right now. Yeah, right. And you know, if if you say to someone, "I'm cutting you off," which sometimes you have no choice but to say, that, usually the response is not is going to be feel negative, embarrassment, yeah. and shame, and they that's when things can get kind of messy. Right. But if you you know gently tell someone, ah, "I don't know," you know, like what he was saying, do it in a sense of camaraderie and 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 uh, you know, 
that you care about them and not that you're, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm your boss. You know, you don't, you don't want to be using authority too much. On right. Them. But you know, it's, well, also, it's not that like, Hey, I'm not cutting you off because I don't like you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm cutting you off for your own good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I think a, a lot of bartending also is just man, crowd management and you just have a lot of these situations. And that's what I, I guess I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about, you, you should learn, you should work in neighborhood bar we should work in a shot and beer place where you can learn those skills of how to manage people right um strangers and how to you know learn how they change when they drink because dealing with drunk people is is something that you have to kind of learn how to do right or, or if not drunk then you know people who've had a couple drinks like buzzed people right because yeah. um, well, from you know in 20 minutes somebody's going to go from you know, just a normal guy sitting there watching TV to being more boisterous, to being sad, to right. being, you know, to being the creepy guy at the bar, to and being the creepy guy. It's a weird time of year. You know, we just had a crazy election. Yeah. And also uh, it's the holidays. Yeah. yeah. You know, people are going to drink more and there is a, a heightened emotion in the air. Well, and I also need to point out that one, the bane of a bar, bartender's existence in Columbus is, are these stupid Buckeye games. I oh, mean, you, you know, it tests the limits of how much you can rally, like be a fan. Because I, I like watching the games with my family. I enjoy it. Right. But dealing with people after these games is just an absolute nightmare. We call them it's, zombies. It's, 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 and it's, it's really disgraceful and shameful, honestly. Like, is it that, because the amount they've drunk had the yes. drink? Or? It's, it's because, yeah, people feel like for some reason, specifically in Columbus, I don't see it a lot with other teams. Obviously, there's going to be drinking. You know, you go to a crew game, you go to the yeah. Browns, especially like, you know, you go to a Cleveland Indians game. There's going to be rowdiness. I mean, that that's built into the uh, sports. sports culture. Yeah. But... This OSU thing is a different different level. It's you know, the entire city. It's well, the entire city loses its mind, and beyond that, they think it's okay that right. they, mm-hmm. that they're acting. Well, there's like, no other city in the country, I don't think, where unless it's like literally a college town where it's better to go grocery shopping during a game because literally no one will be go there. Play, be there. And golf, yeah. like it's awesome that that aspect. But you know, we, we'll go the whole year without a fight in the bar. You know, whole year, no, very, you know, little incidents here and there. Someone's angry, yells at the bartender or whatever. Then the first game, there's two fights. Every bath, all the toilets are thrown up in. Yeah. Everything's Broken. trashed. You didn't make a lot of money because everybody showed up really drunk. So they're not drinking They're just anymore. drinking water. They're not tipping. I mean, they're just, it brings out the worst in people. I mean, I, I, I sorry well, to, to go on a rant about the Buckeyes, but I mean, no, it's just, no, no, no. It's a real well, thing. And what's interesting it's, is like, it's not confined to campus. Oh, and no. It's not it's it's citywide. It's everywhere. Yeah. You can go out and it, it's, it makes our jobs nightmares those days because we don't we make so much less money. You know, working in a restaurant, you make they do all these night games now. You, you, it decimates business, right? And then, and then you're you're there later anyway because people show up afterwards acting like idiots. You know, it's it's awful. Like, I I wish, and you can't really. I don't know if there's anything anyone could do, but it's this this mentality that. I, you know, people can just behave any way they want, right? Because the highest, because a bunch of kids played football today. Like, I'm going to lose my mind over you know kids playing football and go terrorize these bartenders. <laughs> and, and it's like playing, you know, you just you, it's it's 
so baffling that it's it's okay. You know, you have these people getting angry about the protests after the election. They're like, oh man, this is this is terrible. There there were three incidents of broken windows. I'm like, that is every single OSU game. <laughs> like every single game. Like I don't think people realize like all throughout the city that restaurants are getting windows smashed, properties getting damaged, people are passing out in in alleys. Like all this stuff is happening on one it's day in a city, and we never New talk Year, about it's New Year's Eve every Saturday, every, every Saturday, Saturday in the fall. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Like, and it's and it's it it doesn't matter if it's a home game or an away game. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. Some days are better than others. Uh, I will say that on one positive note, if you are somebody who enjoys fine food and drink, every Saturday in the fall, you can walk into any of the better restaurants in town and get a table. And people will love that you're there, and they will love taking care of you because you were the only person there. Uh, but give, yet, I give great service. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, and, you're here. <laughs> I know in the short north, and even when I was working in German Village and on Bexley, we, we tried our best to corral fans, especially rowdy fans. Like I said, we call them zombies as they're walking back from the stadium. Into uh, one section? Not necessarily in one section, but to try to keep them a little more calm. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't encourage them to be as boisterous as possible. They might get ignored when they order a round of shots, that type of thing. Right. Uh, just try and keep the level down a little bit and try and make sure that they have a good time. Right. Uh, one thing I want to add, Joe's mentioned a couple times that how to start in bartending, and I just thought about this, uh, at a neighborhood bar, a dive bar, I actually did the opposite. I started in chain restaurants. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I also, I also went through the entire management training program in a chain restaurant, so that has helped immensely in working in a 2 a.m. bar now and even working in a, a cocktail bar that was open till midnight or 1 a.m. Just learning how procedures run, learning how to, to, to judge people, learning how to talk to people, learning how to, well, to take care of problems. And even knowing what everybody's role is. Correct. And Correct. knowing when, like, if there, if it's a manager bartender situation, knowing what the manager's role is and what yours is. And frankly, if the manager's not doing their job, you know when you need yeah, to step yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Anything about how the Short North is now becoming simply a strip of bars? The Short North is different now than it was. Uh, when I started a bodega a little over four years ago, Marcus Meacham's in the kitchen, mm-hmm. Colin and Sang still own the place. It was more of a neighborhood restaurant, craft beer bar. Mm-hmm. Until and let's about... go through those names real quick. Marcus, uh, currently the, the chef, owner-operator of Steam at Little Rock Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sang went on to open the table, the table on Fifth Avenue, and then Colin has his hands on a couple of different things, but primarily uh, Seven Sun Seven Brewing. Sun. And brewing then Barrel and Bottle at the North Market. Yeah. Awesome bottle shop. Yeah. Great wine selection. And so at that time, it was sort of, you guys were sort of almost sort of the north end of things. Oh, absolutely. The north end of things. Yeah. Third Avenue was the far north end. Right. Of, I mean, of Scully's the was up there. Yeah. It's Well, and it's funny because yeah. 10 years ago, Scully was actually uh, a client of mine, advertising okay. client. And he said, oh, I'm just sitting on it, waiting for the short north to catch to up. Creep up. And I was literally like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> At the time, there were so many condos being built. Yes. That has now become yes. apartments being built. But I was like, "There's no, there is, you are always going to be on an island. Hmm. And I was totally wrong. Yeah. Because slowly but surely, I mean, this was when Little Brothers was still in existence. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and so... Little Brothers, which is now Standard, Standard Hall, Hall, and that whole strip is just more and more, yeah. frankly, bro yeah. bars. Uh, it is, which and it is isn't. fine. You know, it's it it's for a certain kind of patron. But frankly, the the turning point was 
the sale of the Park Street bars to oh, yeah. Jimmy Woodland. Jimmy Woodland's, And yeah. then the opening of Pint, Pint, House. Pint House. And then yeah. the opening of Pint House, mm-hmm. where sort of, and everybody, and you know, a certain population bemoaned it, but there, you know, it was, okay, the Park Street, Park Street is now invading High Street, and then it slowly sort of proliferates north. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I personally have enjoyed it. It's, uh, I don't necessarily frequent all of those bars that you just talked about, but right. there are young professionals, mid thirties and even early forties, late forties, older professional married people who come down the short North that never would before. Right. Uh, I'll take your money. <laughs> um, you know, and, and they're, they're nice people. Uh, some of them get out of hand sometimes, but right. they, they know what they want. They have plenty of money to spend mm-hmm. and they spend it freely. Uh, I've, I've really liked having standard hall there because Frankly, we get the overflow. Right, at Bodega. Uh, and it, it was the same thing with Pint House. Pint House, when it fills up, people get overflow at all the other bars and restaurants up and down the strip. Right. Uh, but I will say that like the chain commercialization of the Short North has been kind of kind of sad. Well, thankfully, it's not... These are, for the most part, local guys. Correct. Um, Correct. You know, there is the Corso Galicchio, Swanson. Yeah, now Swanson uh, has his own. and Right. And then the other people, like, what, Melt, Bakersfield, and the Eagle, they're still mm-hmm. Ohio. Yeah, yeah, Melt's Cleveland. Right. Uh, Matt Fish, I met him, he's a great guy. Bakersfield and, and Eagle are what they call Thunderdome uh, group. Okay. They've, they've got a, a number of concepts based in Cincinnati, but they've been really good about expanding uh, I really like the Eagle. Their food is awesome. Their fried chicken is delicious. It's just weird that they're called the Eagle and they're not a leather gay bar. Yes, yes. It is weird. It is weird. I remember we had that conversation. Yeah, it is weird. I, I see. I'm on the opposite opinion. I like. I, I lament the demise of the Short North because I remember when I was 16, one of my first jobs was delivering bagels to a lot of the spots there for Sammy's bagels. Okay. okay. And like, I remember going in these places and there'd be like naked pictures on the wall. I mean, these places were like, they were edgy. Right. It was like dangerous. <laughs> You're talking about like the galleries. Like gay people everywhere. Like, and it was like for, for me, being from the suburbs, I was like, oh my, oh my God. Nice young Catholic boy. <laughs> I mean, there was all this art on the, every place had art on the walls. There, I mean, all the shops were. You know, there was the open book was there. You had coffee table, which was, you know, that was, oh, was yeah. a, like a, a gay a coffee house. And mm-hmm. it, like it was that's where Bakersfield is now. Yeah. It, it just it was it was a, it was amazing. Like, I remember just being a kid and being like, oh, and it was kind of dangerous. And there was there's a witchcraft shop. And then there was like, you know, there's a church in the middle of it. It was just this weird amalgamation of all these very interesting and, and edgy and, and, and artistic things. I remember being feeling very inspired and, and frightened by it right. and overwhelmed with this sense of like, wow, this is, this is right down the street from me and all this cool stuff is happening. You know, life isn't entirely, you know, w- what I get in the suburbs. This is, the, this is so cool. And then, you know, of course, then I went to little, it brothers. was the hub of counterculture. Yeah. yeah, right. when, I, yeah. when I went to little brothers when I was 17 and saw these, you know, amazing bands, like, you know, they, they didn't care that I wasn't 18. They let me into the show. I, they just, you know, made me pay $5 extra or whatever. Right. And I would see these Columbus bands and they, I mean, they were so edgy and it was like nothing I'd ever heard on the radio. You know, there was no internet at the time. So this was, you know, for me, it was like that the short North was where I really, really, um, learned, I think, learned to be an artist and learn what it meant. And I, you know, like I consider myself an artist and it f- helped shape me. And I see it now. And I, on the one hand, like Josh is saying, like people bringing money in, and a lot of our friends are making money serving yeah. and bartending there. And then we, if, if something happens with us, with our job, we have the option of going, and there's all these jobs now. Right. But I really, really miss having that edginess and that, and that artistic side. And I, I see, I see it 
it, it would it would be I think a little less sad if if it were not happening everywhere. It's just ubiquitous this commercialization of everything, where everything has just become this money grab. Whereas you know before the short north, yeah, yeah, these were businesses making money, but it was art, it was mostly for our art's sake. And then right. they're like, oh, we can make a few bucks off this. And it, like I see a place like Standard Hall, which I mean. It's, I, I'm not criticizing the restaurant, but for like that, that building was sacred to me. I, I released two albums there. I played these really important mm. shows. I turned 21 there, seeing Guided by Voices. I, I opened up for you know great national acts. I, I met some of my like rock and roll heroes there, and I, I played so many important shows. And to see it, like to go in there, it's just like this. This uh, I don't know. Part of me, part of me inside, just becomes very mournful when, when I go by it now. Right. I, mean, I guess that's the nature of things. They have to change and progress and all that. But I, I wish there were a way to have more art and 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 not everything be totally commerce. But that's just my rant, you know. Well, and I think a lot of it has to do with sort of the the rising rents. Oh of, yeah, absolutely. That's why an art gallery can't afford to be there. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they have to be somewhere else. They go to uh, Old Town East. They go to Milo Grogan even. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's sort of how artistic communities evolve. Yeah. And uh, so Franklinton and King Lincoln District yep. and all that. Yeah. But that's the nature of things. Yeah. So anything else you wanted to touch on, Joe? Nope. Anything else you wanted to touch on, Josh? Just be nice to each other. Have fun. Tip your bartenders and servers. Know what you want. Do you know when it's nice to be nice, Josh? What's that? All the time. All the time. <laughs> All the time. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, have a good holiday. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, your family, contacts, enemies, your local bartender. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, you can get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week.